Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Lord, we love you and we want to hear from you. And we know you're good. And um, we want to give you access to every area of our life today. We just invite you to uh, come in and make us better and redeem us. We know that your plans for us are better than we can ever imagine. And you're better than we can ever imagine. So have your way with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off and introduce you to somebody named Jim. Um, Jim isn't his real name, um, but... This is a true story, and it's a tragic story, so I'm just going to warn you right up front. It's, this is a hard story to hear. Jim arrived in town with his family and visited a church where, over time, he got involved. Um, the pastor of the church recognized he was new and befriended him and took him out to lunch. And um, during the lunch, the pastor learned that Jim had previously been a pastor but had left that role to come in, into a sales job into the city where he was leading and he explained that the pastoral work that he'd been doing was just taking him away from his wife and his kids too much. And, and the pastor sensed that wasn't the whole story, but he didn't want to pry because he didn't want to violate boundaries, and he figured in time, everything will come out as they built trust and a friendship. Um, the months passed, and Jim and his family got more and more involved in the church and began to really thrive there. Uh, there was a new initiative in the church that they needed somebody to head up, and the pastor asked Jim if he would do it, and he, he just, he killed it. I mean, he just did a great job, and people really respected the way he handled himself, and his, his stock, as it were, started to grow in that, in that church. Um, months passed, the pastor was going to be away on vacation, and so he asked Jim, hey, would you be interested in filling in for me? And Jim said, wow, it's been a while, but, you know, I'll give it a shot. And so he spoke, and again, he was really well-received, did an amazing job. And, and then over time, it became apparent to Jim that maybe he was still called to ministry. So he approached the pastor, and he asked, do you think there would be any spot for me on your staff? And the staff was growing rapidly. The church was growing quickly. Um, and uh, Jim... The pastor said, yeah, I think we have a spot, actually. I think you do great in it. And so he came on the staff, and he just began to really flourish, and he connected well with the rest of the team. Everybody respected and loved him. And, and then one day, Jim approached the pastor after, like, it had been like a year or two, and he, he said, um, what would you think if I returned back to the area I, le I left and planted a church there? What if, what if do you think I'm, I'm called and qualified for that? Pastor said, well, let's find out. So they started to assess him and did a lot of homework, interaction with him. They put together a group of people just to pray with him. And over a several month period, it just became really clear that Jim not only had the gifts and the abilities to plant a church, but they should get behind him and bless him in doing it. And so pastor led the charge. They raised a bunch of money. They sent him back to the community from whence he'd come and their investment was very quickly met with incredible results. 
after about six months of gathering people, they launched, and within a couple years, there, there were several hundred people there, and a lot of people were coming to know Jesus. Then out of the blue, the pastor received a call one day from Jim, and he was sobbing on the other end of the line. And between gasps, he told the pastor, I should have never done this. I just resigned. I'm not fit for this. I really blew it. And in the days to come, the rest of the truth came out. It turned out that Jim had left the region he'd returned to years earlier to escape an adulterous relationship. But upon returning, he again connected with the same woman. In fact, he convinced himself theirs was a unique relationship, and he asked her to come on his staff, and he spent more and more time with her. And then in a hotel room just miles from his church office, he betrayed his wife and his calling, sleeping with her multiple times, all while continuing to preach and lead. This continued for months until the sin came out. And Jim was ruined. And all of those people that had come to Christ wondered, did anything he had ever told us, was anything, of all the things he told us, was any of it true? Was he, was he, was he real at all? And the woman's husband sued the young church and legal fees completely emptied the church's savings account. Now, you might be asking, how does Jim, whose life in virtually every other area was sincerely good, find himself in such a dark place? From the earliest days, Jesus admonished us to be aware that there's a dark influencer operating around us, and he's determined to destroy our lives. In John 10, 10, Jesus said this about Satan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The Bible clearly teaches that Satan controls a demonic hierarchy that's very active in our world, and it's organized to harm you and me. Now, Jesus repeatedly explained his mission, who was to advance his kingdom of light overcoming these dark forces intended to destroy our lives. In fact, Jesus was sitting by the shores of the Sea of Galilee one day, watching the crowds walk toward him, where they fully expected that he would both heal and deliver people from demonic control. And when he saw the crowds, we read in Matthew 9, 36, he had compassion for them. This word compassion literally translated means he was gut struck. It's like he saw them and he went, oh, look at them. For they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus didn't see that they were just aimless. He saw that they were prey. So Jesus taught his disciples who it is that preys upon God's people and they passed this lesson on. The Apostle Peter wrote this to the church, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Apostle John summarized Jesus' reason for coming in 1 John 3.8. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Having said all of that, I find it ironic that today many Christians treat Jesus' teaching about demonic spirits as primitive or old-fashioned or or superstitious, when for Jesus and his disciples, freeing people from demonic entities was central to his ministry and very strategic in everything he came to do. Scripture is clear that not only are we at war, but that in this war, there is no place of neutrality. Because you bear God's image, that alone makes you hated by the evil one. I think we would all agree that we're influenced by natural forces, right? How many of you have ever been hangry? Anybody? Yeah, hangry? Yeah, I know. I've seen Jay hangry. It ain't pretty. I'm sorry that you have to go through that so often. Yeah, so there's, we know that we can be affected by like if our blood sugar gets low or if, if uh, we come from a, how many of you come from like very passive Scandahoovian families? You know, like, oh, that's Scandinavian, I'm sorry. Scandahoovian is just a general collective. Anybody like, like you just, that's your back, my wife. That's why she, I married her. She's very passive. I got away with a lot. Just, or how many of you came from like an Italian family? Like yelling is just normal communication, right? Like passion, intense. So we know that genetics affect the way that we, that we act in this world. And there are some who secrete a lot of adrenaline. And so you're pretty intense. And there are other people that secrete maybe a little too much serotonin, so you tend to be a little melancholy. And when those things get too out of hand, you get manic or you get really dark. So we know that we're affected by natural forces, but the Bible makes it clear that there are forces outside of the natural world, supernatural forces that act upon us. And this influencer has one goal, and that is to make you his slave. It's this simple, you're either being shaped by the Spirit of God or you're being shaped by Satan's influence. There really is no other place to stand. I I was listening to the lyrics from an old Bob Dylan song today. Any of you remember Bob Dylan? You know, anybody in this room old enough? There's like two people old enough to remember Bob Dylan. Okay, a couple like classic rockers back there. Bob Dylan became a Christian in the late 70s and he wrote a, serve, a, a church call, or a church, he wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. He, he, he said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. We don't have a choice. We're going to serve somebody. Today, I want to talk to you about strongholds. And our primary text will be 2 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 3. If you have a Bible or your phone, turn there, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. The church planter named Jim, though he moved hundreds of miles away, never dealt with a demonically influenced part of his life. Instead, he followed Jesus in a whole lot of spaces, but this one area he still accommodated and allowed the enemy to, to direct it. He, and predictably, Satan over time used this stronghold to destroy him. The audience Paul wrote to in 2 Corinthians, uh, they were Christians, so this passage is for people like many of us in the room here this afternoon. Uh, 
In 2 Corinthians 10, 3, Paul exposes Satan's plan of attack and how we can defeat his strategy to harm us. So 2 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Our weapons of strategy are not fleshly weapons. In other words, we don't fight dark forces in physical ways. On the contrary, our, our, our weapons have divine power. They come from God to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So Paul is calling Christians to remove strongholds from their lives that Satan has been building. So what is the meaning of this word stronghold? If you keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians and flip over to, to 1 Samuel 23, verse 14, here's what something David says. David, David was running from Saul. Remember in the day when he was running from Saul? And uh, David stayed in the desert strongholds in the hills of the desert of Ziph. And day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. The desert of Ziph. Doesn't that sound like a place Dr. Seuss would maybe create? Like the desert of Ziph. It's actually, if you go south of Jerusalem, through Bethlehem, on down to Hebron, and take a left, you'll go into a, a really rough, small mountain range there, filled with broken rock and caves. It's, it's, it's a, a, a kind of a labyrinth of, of, of wadis and, and, uh, and caves. So David's stronghold was a place where he could hide from uh, his pursuer and have an easily defensible position. So a stronghold is a place of strategic defense. A stronghold can be a good place. In fact, in several of David's Psalms, he says of God, you are my stronghold. But a stronghold can also be a place from which we seek to defend ourselves against God's pursuit resisting his effort to redeem certain areas of our life and healing us from controlling sin. A dark stronghold is a place that we retreat to because it's familiar and it's a way that we hold God at bay. And from this place of resistance, we argue with God and we pretend that God's word doesn't apply to us or is not right or good for us. We sort of stack up pretense and argument like boulders, and we argue that we shouldn't obey because our, our situation is a little unique, we say, and we pretend that his word doesn't really apply to us, and we know better in this unique situation than God does. So when we resist God, we're in fact making an alliance with the evil one, the very one who's sworn to destroy our lives. And verse 5, Paul makes clear what must be done to tear down or demolish these places of stubborn resistance to God, which prevent us from fully redeeming us. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So the materials used to build strongholds against God are three things. Did you hear them in the text there? First, arguments. Did you see that? Second, pretension. And the third, thoughts that we construct to resist God through. So let's look at these a little more carefully. Arguments, this, this word, it's, its Greek root is the word, it's actually translated logismos, 
Sounds like what word? Logic, right? But it's logic that's not really built and predicated upon fact. These are practiced arguments that make sense to us, but they're built upon lies. The next one is pretension. Literally, pretension is at its core, it's pretending. So we pretend that we know better than the creator of the universe. Am I the only one that's ever done that? When the Spirit of God calls us to let him free, calls us to, to let him in to heal an area where we've been broken, um, this loop, loop uh, almost like a, it's like this argument fires up and we begin to argue and we begin to pretend and we play these thoughts and they're rehearsed and they're practiced. We use them for a long time to keep God out of that area of our life that he's pursuing us in. And we stack up familiar lives around us to fend off his, his call to us. Let me in, let me minister to that. Let me heal that. Let me redeem that. And when we're resisting God, we're unwittingly agreeing with the very enemy of our soul. Now you may be thinking, um, how can a person filled with the Spirit of God be at the same time a person who gives place to the enemy? Well, back to Jim. Jim sincerely loved God. And most areas of Jim's life were in absolute alignment with God's instruction and leading. But he kept refusing to allow God in access to one area of his life. And he argued with God and pretended that he knew better than God did about this relationship, that somehow God's word didn't apply specifically to his life because his life was particular and unique from those who God spoke to in Scripture. Jesus said this in Luke eleven thirty-five through 36. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it darkness... It'll be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. You can stand in the light of Jesus, but reserve an area and resist God in a specific area, preventing him from being Lord of all, except for this. He can be Lord of everything but this area, and the enemy will work to destroy you from that place. Now, to find out if you have any demonically influenced strongholds, Ask yourself these questions. Y'all ready for a little self-evaluation? Y'all still with me out there? All right. Do I continue to argue with God about an area of my life? Do I notice there's a pattern? Do I rationalize my rebellion against God? Have I built arguments to justify my resistance to God? Do I pretend that my situation is unique and therefore God's word doesn't apply to me? If upon hearing certain biblical truths or scripture, your thoughts become immediately defensive, if you pretend, well, well yeah, that's not, that's not exactly my situation, and then you have constructed, uh, you, you've actually constructed a stronghold with the enemy's help, and you're resisting God where he's trying to break in and heal you, and Satan's right behind you, whispering lies and cheering you on while he dismantles your life, brings this abscess into your soul. Can I have permission to probe a little bit more? You're a brave bunch. Here we go. Here's a couple common strongholds that exist in, among Christians today, particularly American Christians. 
One common stronghold is in the area of trusting God with our money. It's remarkable how quickly some move into a defensive posture when the, when the pastor starts to teach from the Bible about giving. Giving God a portion of what we have is one of the beginning places of coming into a covenant of trust with God. But if you have a stronghold, just the words like tithe trigger you. Long rehearsed arguments fire up, reasons why that's no longer applicable or doesn't uniquely apply to you. You pretend it isn't biblically clear, you know, and even though Jesus talked about money more than any other single topic in the New Testament, because where your treasure is, there your heart is also, you resist them in that area. And you have arguments that are really nuanced and elegant and convince you The same thing can happen when hearing what the Bible has to say about sex. God clearly tells us that sex is sacred and only to be enjoyed between a man and a woman within a lifelong covenant of marriage. But when confronted with these biblical truths, those having sex outside of God's clear directives fire up practiced arguments. They've created logic for why they're an exception to God's word. They resist the spirit of God in this area to protect an area of their life now yielded over to forces of darkness, tainted. What would be beautiful in God's covenant is now harmed because it stands outside of his plans. As these areas become habits, our habits become habitats. We're agreeing with Satan and giving him a place to live, and he's destroying us from the inside out. Now, this begins with the smallest accommodation of sin. The Bible calls it a foothold. That's like a, you know, a door-to-door salesman. You, they get their foot in the door before you can close it. A foothold. Then in time with argument and pretense and practice thoughts of defense, we develop strongholds. So a pattern of thought becomes a habit. A habit becomes a habitat of the enemy himself inside of our otherwise redeemed soul. Now you can tell where a stronghold is because where Satan influences three things generally follow. Here's the first. Fear. Fear that God wants to take something from you. Not reverence for God, but fear that if you really gave yourself over to God, if you really trusted God, if you, if you really, like, you know, laid your life out there for them, that he would not be good. And then you start to protect that aspect of your life that the enemy's been lying to you about. So fear. The next one's shame. You, you believe if the people sitting around me knew, if they knew what I am doing, they wouldn't love me. So I need to keep this area that's not redeemed, this, this dark thing, I need to keep it secret. And, and so I live with sort of low-grade, constant shame. By the way, you'll know you have shame if you start to do something for God, because the enemy will immediately start to accuse you through it. He'll use that as ammo against you to limit your effectiveness for his kingdom. And the third is hopelessness. As you accept fear, as you start to live in shame, a despair comes and you start to think, I'm just stuck. This is just the way it's going to be. And every time we argue with God and pretend we know better than him, the darkness grows. 
So we harbor a grudge or hatred against another person. We argue that this position is reasonable because they have wounded us deeply and we pretend that God's call to forgive doesn't apply to you because after all, this was way worse than what, you know, you know, this is really bad. If people just knew, if God knew, he would never expect me to forgive. And a stronghold of bitterness is established. This enemy tactic is what devastated Jim, the church planter. His life was general in, generally in alignment with God. People admired him because the vast portion of his life was beautiful. He grew in influence because in many areas of his life, he was utterly submitted to God and God was using him. But this one demonic pocket of sickness, he defended it and he argued with God about it. And Satan finally got him in a place where he could out him and implode his world. A habit for which we argue and pretend becomes a habitat, habitat in which the enemy takes up power until he destroys us from the inside out. That is Satan's tactic. So what's the solution? Would you like some good news? It's been pretty heavy, hasn't it? How about some good news? Because we have weapons. They come directly from God. We're told that though we live in the flesh, we do not war as though we are walking in the flesh. Our weapons of strategy are not fleshly weapons. On the contrary, they have divine power. They have God's power to demolish strongholds. So there is a solution, and there are three steps to freedom that are they're, they're easy to describe. They're more challenging and take courage to act upon. Here's the first. We demolish arguments. That's the first thing. We stop arguing with God and we start agreeing with God. Do y'all know what the word confession means? If, how many of you had Latin at one point? How many of you went to parochial school somewhere? And went, you had to have Latin then, right? So how many of you speak Spanish? Yeah? What's the word C-O-N? What does that mean? Con, with. That's a Latin derivative, right? So con, confession is the with saying it's saying with God what is true about you. Confession is no longer arguing with God. It's saying what God says is true about you and acknowledging that what his word says is absolutely without error and perfect to redeem you and give you the life you'd long for. And he's utterly good. So it's agreeing with God about what he's saying regarding you. So confessing is saying with God what he says is true about us. In 1 John 1, 9, we're promised this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. Is that what it says? No, it says he'll cleanse us from what? All of our unrighteousness. So, so the first thing is if we want to be in right standing with God, we just start agreeing with him about what he says is true and we stop arguing, we stop pretending, we acknowledge the sin problem and we just flat out declare, I need a redeemer. Lord Jesus, I need your help. And that begins the process. But healing a stronghold requires more than a private prayer whispered to God. Second, Satan operates in the dark and he hates the light. He's like a cockroach. You turn the lights on, he runs. To find healing from habitual arguing and pretending and the demonic power this area has held over you you will need to step into the light. And here 
All of his power disappears. James 5.16 directs us to do this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? So first, when we privately confess our sins, we're forgiven. But when we finally talk to a trusted friend and we agree with God on what's true about us and we literally say the words, okay, I've been lying to myself for a long time. I've been resisting God for a long time. I need to say this to you, man. I need you to just, I need to confess this. And, and, and then we say it. The lights come on and the darkness is broken off of us. I recently heard a, a, a person speaking on, on uh, drug dependence, and they said the opposite of, of, uh, uh, of, of addiction isn't sobriety, it's transparency. Because Satan can only work in places where we're hiding, where we're in the dark, but when we're truthful and stand in the light and we agree with God about what he says and we say it to another trusted Christian and they pray for us, we're not just forgiven, now we're also healed. So I can just tell you, I, I, I became a Christian in college and I'd been a wild child and walked far from God for many years. And when I finally came to Jesus, I kept confessing certain sins over and over and over again. And I'd feel better for about 10 minutes and I'd go back to doing it all again. Anybody relate to this? And then finally I read this passage, confess to one another, you'll be healed. And so I went to a friend and it was like, it was one of the most frightening things I've ever done. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever done. If we want to be healed, we have to go to a trusted, godly friend and agree with God what's true about us and literally say the words, I have been resisting God and sinning against him in this area and I want, I want to be healed. So I'm telling you now, I've been doing this, 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 and this. Would you pray for me now? The darkness breaks off after that. I'm just saying. The cockroaches scurry. Complete healing comes when we tell a trusted friend about the stronghold. We stand in God's light. That's where, that, that's where the healing comes. And then third, James 4, 7. Submit yourself therefore to God. What's the next word? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First, we stop pretending Next, we stop arguing. Now we agree with God about what is true and step into light, confessing to another that we need healing. And then, y'all, we go on offense. We stop playing defense. We start going on offense. When a lie comes to our mind, we immediately, I used to have this image in my mind when I had all this junk in my life I was dealing with. I would call Jesus, take this thought right now, take it under your authority, bind it and take it away. And I would literally see the thought like getting thrown over a squad car, getting hooked up and let away, just like driving away. I was taking authority and the authority that was given to me, they're divine, divine tools. They're given from God. So Confessing can get us forgiveness. Confessing to another can get us healing. But when we start to resist the devil and we start to invite the power of Jesus into our lives, we no longer have to be victimized all the time by the lies the enemy's been telling us. We can stop pretending. We can stop arguing. We can start agreeing with God. We go on offense. The story of Jim isn't just a story. Um, he was a friend that I loved. 
Maybe it was transparent from the beginning, but I was the pastor who hired him. Um, we sent him down to South Florida, and within two years, the church had grown to 500 people. And probably a third of the room was filled with new believers. And I was the one that took the phone call when he wept. And I was the one who, my, Beth and I received his wife when she got on an airplane and came to her home to try to make sense out of what happened to her life. And we held her while she cried. And I watched his children desperately confused about who his father was. And I saw the church come apart. And I saw his family never really fully recovered. The stakes are real. The casualties are real. So stop arguing with God. Start agreeing with him. Stop pretending that God's word doesn't apply to you. Start accepting the truth that he speaks as yours. Take false thoughts captive and bring them to Jesus, giving him the authority to end them in your life and step into the light. And most of all, tell a trusted friend where you've been battling and you'll find freedom. You'll be healed and the shame will be removed. Let me pray for us. Lord, there's just a big difference between um, between us declaring that we we believe in you and us really declaring that we want you to be our redeemer in every area. And Lord, through our lives, it's just I, I'm old now. I mean, I look back. There were so many points of battle where I argued with you and I pretended that your word didn't apply to me, and I. I confessed my sin to you privately, but it wasn't until I confessed my sin to a trusted brother or sister in Christ that I was freed and I could find the ability to go on offense. So Lord, for those that are here today, I suspect there are several that are here that are at a point where they just are, they're ready to stop cultivating a stronghold. They're ready to step into the light and be healed. They want to move on. They don't want to be walking with a limp. They don't want to be just Christian enough to be miserable. They want to be redeemed fully. So I pray, Lord, that you would work powerfully in the lives of the people that are here as they put into work things that your word has taught us today. today is a day of healing for many of us in this room today. If you're in the room, there's that thing that as he's talking the whole time, that just like rolls over. It's the same one. And you start trying to argue. You start trying to say, no way, not that one. You know, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to move today. I've asked several people in the room to come and just be here as, as listening ears those who will pray for you and he hear, just listen and hear. I say this is the safest place in the world to be. It absolutely is. Uh, but it's not safe for the devil. Today, I believe he will be overcome. I believe strongholds will be shattered. 
I believe healing will happen in this room. If right now in this moment, you want to run uh, out of this place and get out of here as fast as you can and never come back, I believe this moment is really, really for you. It's really for you. And it's okay to struggle. It's okay. Uh, but we've been invited into response. So right where you are, what's the thing that rolled over in your mind that you argued, I don't have to move because blank. I know it's rolling through my mind, but there's a re I, I, it's not me. I can beat this thing. If that's you, I invite you to believe upon the word today. Step into light fully and be healed. I'm gonna pray for us and music's gonna play. We're gonna sing some song. And as we do, respond as the Lord lays on your heart. Respond, move in faith, move today. May the day today be the day of salvation, breaking free, the doors open, chains broken. Father, today is the day of salvation. We believe and we agree with you. Thank you for your word, God. I pray it will come upon like fire in the bones, God. I pray strongholds of the enemy would be shattered today as people step in obedience. God, would you give supernatural courage in this moment, not to sit still as has been in the past, but today is a new day, a new beginning. Pray for courage for my brothers and sisters. Because Lord, we believe you. We thank you for your kindness and healing that you offer to us. Thank you for your invitation to move. Today we move with you. Pray in Jesus' name. As the Lord lays on your heart, let's move together.
me if you're sitting next to someone that you've known for a long time and you can trust them. If you know they're going to maintain your privacy, don't hesitate just to turn right to the person next to you. If there's something that you feel like you know you need to deal with this, well, today is still today. Obey the Lord. To not respond right now is to continue to build that stronghold. To not respond right now is to be resisting the pursuit of God. Not me, I, you know. But the, if the Spirit of God is pressing into an area and saying, I, you may think, well, you're already you're moving into that place of argument and preaching. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's really a small thing. I can handle it. If you're already doing that, you're, if that if that's starting to happen. Turn to someone that you trust now and just confess your sins that you may be healed. And we can move on without a limp. We can change generational patterns in our families. Our kids, our ancestors won't have to bear the stuff we've borne. So obey the Lord.